as a seeker, sometimes you're flying, you feel like you're flying blind. You can't necessarily see the path you're on. And then all of a sudden the fog clears, you look out and you're on the precipice high up on the mountain, much farther than you thought you were. You look down and it's petrifying because you've ascended so much. You recognize that when you connect with certain spirits, the goal is to not look down, but to keep going up. I'm all in for the musicians as we slowly move forward in a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. Spiritual live music is a healing force that can bridge humanity's gaps by touching hearts and souls. Every time I've gone to a concert in the last couple of years, I've brought that voltage to the bandstand from minute one, because I want the cats to get out of their thinking mind. You get that crowd activation, and the next thing you know, through that intensity, you're getting the musicians off. That's a spiritual experience, raising the collective consciousness. The cats then revitalize my spirit and get the creative juices flowing again so I can let the body dance. Playing music of the soul is not for the faint of heart. To lose yourself or see yourself from the outside looking in. Not being worried about being micromanaged. Playing free and escaping whatever's going on in your life. How hard is that? It can be very hard unless you consistently surround yourself with people who never put themselves above the music. Learning to converse improvisationally and going off into space is not something that every musician can contribute all the time. Rob Eaton Jr., welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hey, Jake, thanks for having me. Such an honor to have you, man. You know, I Thank want, you. I, 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 um, I just wanted to read you this, this quote, um, yeah, who was that? No, that, well, that was my writing, but I wanted to that's read. Your uh, yeah, that oh, that was just my poetry then. Uh, but this is from uh, my 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 fifth book just came out, and this is from uh, one of the excerpts from George Benson. He said, uh, "Quote: Elvin Jones said this about John Coltrane. Quote: It was like God sent us an angel, and he stayed with us for a little while, and then he disappeared." I thought that was profound. I like his assessment of John Coltrane not being ordinary, and you know we're so absorbed in our own crises and our own things these days. I just, I kind of wanted to ask you if there was somebody, a musician or somebody that meant a lot to you in your personal and professional life that stayed with us for a little while. And then like an angel, they disappeared. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, in my lifetime, I, I, I can't think of an artist that um, is no longer with us that's, that's done that with me, that I, that I know personally that's done that for me. Um, but um, I'm also a, a big fan and um, sort of an old soul when it comes to listening to music. So most of the artists that, um, that, that kind of do that for me have, have already passed. Absolutely. Um, so who, who are, like, uh, you know, it was just crazy... Uh... I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I drove 12 hours from Tucson in 2018 to Vail and to, for the for for the Shakedown Bar gig with you and Redner, Kramer, and, and Levy, and, mm -hmm. and 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 I realized that when you called me on Sunday night, mm -hmm. <clears throat> that Neil Casal, his spirit is the one that connected us, and. You know, yeah. and, and I'm telling you, it's heavy, man, and it's real because of the way it you, is. because you've been coming at me this week with, you know, improvisational phone calls about inspirational stuff, and it's like, mm -hmm. I just know, because I was driving through, like, national parks I'm from Tucson to Vail, and I'm like, what am I doing? This is before he, he, he took his life, but it was like, when I saw you that night, and then obviously flubbed I, I didn't know even who you were for several years but you had such a profound impact on me I'm like and then this happened this last week no doubt that he continued the spirit lives on so more to the I'm glad that nobody has left yeah. you but but who are some of the cats that that touch your heart and you know in almost an angelic way and allow you to be yourself more on the bandstand you know I think that um, there are there are a few artists in particular that have have moved me um, to a degree, um, but there's also I, I would say there's I'd, I'd be more selective about like certain like material, and it could be from many different artists. Um, but a select few, I, I would say like you know um, early on, um, you know Jerry Garcia, obviously yeah. um, a hero. Like I mean, Europe seventy two was the first record that 
I like I probably burned it out in my Walkman. <laughs> if you remember what those things were. Oh, baby, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I think I think it lived in that in my Walkman for about eight months in my freshman year of high school. <laughs> and um, I remember I was I was a metalhead at that point. I, you know, I wanted to play Metallica and Iron Maiden and Slayer. And I heard that. I was like, man, that sounds even harder to do. Um, oh wow, that's to, great! To play, yeah, that to is play with great. Such finesse and touch and like, and like it pulled a different side of emotion out of me. And metal was like my like getting my teenage angst out a little bit. But I'm also a very sensitive person, um, <laughs> too much at times. Um, but that hit another like triggered me emotionally um, from another point. Um, and it's it's funny you bring this up because I had this very long in-depth conversation about emotional attachment to music um, mm. with a um, with my, a guy I was writing with um, yesterday and you know there's there's so many different emotions that we all experience and they um, they trigger the same response in everybody collectively and I Emotional response um, isn't inherent to um, like uh, people that are impoverished or people that are rich or people that have bad breaks or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter where you come from. What triggers an emotional response is what triggers an emotional response. Absolutely. And and those are all valid. Um, and so it could be joy, it could be sadness, it could be happiness, it could be you know anything. Um, what brings me joy and what brings you joy might be two different things, two different causes, right? But, you know, there's this little circle that exists right in the middle of all of it that we both feel that same emotion. Now, it doesn't matter where it comes from or what caused it, but we both feel the same thing. And that's why like, people from all walks of life can come together and relate to the same type of music because it triggers something emotionally. Mm. And mm. Um, I found that really important. And if you can tap into that and feel that, um, and you're doing something right. And so there are a few guys like to, for me that do that, you know, and, um, and Derek trucks is another one of them. Um, I don't think I can make it through, um, any show that he plays without weeping. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's just so badass, though. I mean, it just, I, I, but this is, I mean, I, this is very important. Like you talk about this emotional response and I'm with you, man. Like, like our generation, you're saying that, and, yeah. and your and your and your little blurb that you just read to me at the beginning here. That that's I was like, wow, that's you know, that's pretty insightful. Um, yeah, well, as a, as a journalist, that's, that's how I feel. You know, I mean, I want, I live for that shit. It. You know, yeah, that is that is the essence and magic of music, in my opinion, is um, translating um, and triggering an emotional response for somebody else, whether no matter what it is, like it's an emotional response, and like sometimes like feeling sad can also make you feel happy. Like you hear a sad song that makes you cry can all can in a weird way make you feel Absolutely, good. Absolutely you know dude. I mean? All the and, time. Like, and that's that like, that's that emotional trigger that like is, um, to me is just the most important thing. And you know, like you see like the best artists out there, um, they trigger in, in like really strong emotional responses from people. And sometimes on the, the converse side of the people that really love them, there are some people out there that really hate them, you know, and like for no reason, just like don't like them. And it's a pretty strong opinion. <laughs> yeah, right. on any, jam, yeah. any jam based form and see that. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have that trigger that kind of a remotional if you see that. Um, because it means you're doing something good. I, well, I was going to say, nice. if you're causing, you know, you got some hatred or haters. You're doing something right. I mean, it means it's, that you're triggering emotions. It, it, that's you nailed it. I, I want to ask you this while I'm thinking yeah. about this, though. This is important because, yeah. you know, we've been having a ball this week. Uh, you threw up mm -hmm. the Marvin Gaye solo that you had, and I was I was reading a lot of the comments, like you know, very tasty. I mean, it was an incredible solo. But Thank I you. want you to talk about the evolution that you've had as a sensitive person and somebody like myself as a Gen X or 45. Growing up in this time of like just flashing facility and chops and technique, how have you learned? Where are you at in your playing where you are willing to play what you feel? And even if you hit a clam, you know that people will go with you. <laughs> Basically, the point is 
that the music is not, even though we're talking about emotion, that the music itself is not that precious. Have you learned to let go of that perfection? Um, yes. Um, and well, yes and no. Um, I, I strive for perfection in different avenues. Like I, I practice pretty extensively. I'm, I'm taking a guitar lesson from one of my favorite guitarists in the country, Mr. Tim Palmieri from Lotus. Oh, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Um, he is a hmm. Northeast boy and he's, he's incredible. And when I was younger, I listened to him. I was like, man, that guy's got it going on. Unreal. And, unreal guitar player. I mean, and um, he, he can, he can play I like he can shred he can play a lot of notes but he's also i in in my opinion does a lot of it with really good intention um and then there's guys like roy buchanan um who did um mm-hmm. uh, what's that song um i just know that i just know that when, know savior, that, that, when, when yeah. the savior come, comes again i believe it's called and it's like this bluesy slow ballad and it's like the most most mournful like guitar lead pink like sort of like a bluesy uh blues guitar sleepwalk if you will <laughs> um and it's like you take both those worlds but both do something for me right so like um and, and my favorite guitar player actually um on the planet is adrian smith from iron maiden mm-hmm. um wow. and because he Really, the, he's precise, and I like that. I like that perfection in his playing. But it's it's not, like, devoid of a purpose or soul. It's, it has intention behind it. Um, and it's it tells a story in a quick amount of time. So it, there's there's so many different players that have done that for me over the years where it's Pat Metheny, it's Trey from 92 to 94. Um, <laughs> it's, Derek, it's Derek Trucks, it's, it's so Adrian sick. Smith, yeah. it's um, Roy Buchanan, it's Frank Zappa. Um, right, and right, and right. then some of my some colleagues, um, Rob Coppa from Dopapod, um, kind of blew me away when I heard him play the first time. Uh, Tim, like I mentioned before. Um, some local guys from Denver who I got to play with the, um, when I first moved out here. Um, James Dumb and Jordan Linnett, those guys, I was like, oh my God, what, what am I doing holding a guitar in my hands? Um, but you know, that's the, that's what I wanted to get at is like how you've learned to be like, we're, so, that, that, so I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was getting to that. Yeah. Uh, is that, um, so I, I'm looking at it, I'm like, which one do I pick? Which, who do I want to be out of these people? And, um, I was like, maybe I don't have to be one in particular, maybe I can be all of them. And just take the pieces, the the parts of them that I really like. I and, love it. And so I, I, I still practice technique and facilities so that I'm able to accomplish the things that I want to say on the guitar when need be. Um, but at a certain point, I, I changed my philosophical approach to music and I, uh, from on stage. And that was to play music as a fan of music, not as a student of music. And this is really important, man. I need you to break this down. This is so because, yeah. dude, being a fanatic and with intention is—it's going to get me off every time more than showing off your facility and shop. It's not a riffology school. It's, it's, here's the thing with facility and shop: just like just go to YouTube and like, and <laughs> you can destroy your ego right. in two seconds. <laughs> there's right. always somebody. There's always somebody that can play faster and know more than you around the corner from you. Um, <laughs> it's about so. I remember there's a distinctive shows that I saw as a kid growing up or like that I heard that triggered that feeling of like, holy shit, like this is like hitting me right here. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was on spring break with a couple of friends in high school. We went to um, Wani Fast down to Florida and then drove back up and cut my dad's band, Dark Star Orchestra, play at the Norva um, in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And they closed the first set with Sugary and Sober, Red Dogs, you know, I was like 17 at the time. Um, and I like was jumping up and down, <laughs> spinning and losing my mind like I was on 10 oh. hits ass. Oh, this is like, great. This is great. And I still remember that feeling of like, holy fucking shit. That was like, <laughs> what was that? You know? Oh, man. And... 
then I saw like Derek Trucks band do that. And, you know, I heard, I heard it on records. I remember listening back to um, a Grateful Dead show that my best friend, um, Rudy, um, may he rest in peace, my old bass player, um, gave to me. It was 92. And I was driving my truck from college to, in Potsdam, New York, to Burlington, Vermont. And I was playing a CD that he burned for me. He's like, this, check this show out, man. It's awesome. And I listened to the whole show, and I get to the one more Saturday night at the end. And I'm, you know, I'm just listening to it on a CD player in my Tacoma. And I'm bound, I, t- I had to take my seatbelt off. I'm bouncing up and down in my seat, like, <laughs> you know, like freaking out. And, and it's on a tape, you know, it's not even live. And I'm like, at a certain point, I realized I was like, that's what I want people to feel when I'm on stage. That's I want right. to feel the way that I felt. I want to create that experience again. Um, or the first time that I heard music that made me cry. Um, like, you know, it doesn't really matter what the, uh, you know, emotional response is. I wanted it to be something that really meant something. Um, and whether that's bringing joy or happiness or, or like tears or like jumping up and down like an idiot like I was um, I want to play from that perspective so playing on stage and, and kind of releasing all the stuff that I practice and letting it go not thinking about it but think, trying to feel like and it took a little, a little bit of practicing to, uh, practicing of like um, like letting it go to get there That's what. Um, like, well, can you talk like, about how can you talk about an, an example of you know, even if it might have been a real struggle, how you learned to let go of the academy on the band on the bandstand because we also live in this time hyper hyper distraction too. Like just because just because the crowd may not get it doesn't mean that you're not being emotive in your playing. So it, it, you do have to practice that if that's the right word. For sure. Um, well, I you know a lot of self reflection. Yeah. Um, and and remembering what. Um, like when I played something, how, how people did respond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started to realize that some of the stuff that I thought was good, you know, some people like maybe didn't care about. Um, and this is kind of a a long process, the mental process to get here. But I'll start with, um, one of my first like studio sessions that I did in Colorado with an old band of mine. Um, I took, I think seven solo takes on this one track. And um, the take that I like the best, everybody else in the band in the, in the studio liked the least. And the one that I disliked the most, everybody else liked the most. Mm. And mm. I remember kind of being like a mix of emotions, like, well, I'm glad you guys like this, but <laughs> fuck. I'm like, <laughs> you don't like that one? That's not what I like. Like, God damn it. Um, and I'm like, like, you know what? Like, it's like six to one here. Like, you guys choose, man. Like, it's, I guess it's really not up to me. Um, I'm, I can facilitate it. You know, I can, I can play from many different places. And, um, so I started to realize that like the one that I played was just, I just went up there and played. I think it was probably the first take. And the one that I like the most is the one that I was, was more thought out, like studious. And, interesting, like, interesting, and interesting. Kind of stuff, like wow. you know, and I'm and I'm like, yeah, nobody gives a shit about that. Like you know, most musicians that watch you play don't give a shit about that. You know, that's right. <laughs> um, you know, and if you're trying to impress just your fellow musicians, <laughs> you're you're shooting for the wrong um, target base there. You know, um, well, did you so, did you like that that take because you were it was about like. Did, did did the take they like actually feel good or you just weren't because to me like that that's that's a, a tried and true thing that's happened to David Spinoza and all these cats were like, yo, let me do it again. They're like, no, you're done. That was perfect. Even yeah. though they they clammed it. But it, now it's a hit. I'm just curious if you realized like that it that it, it, even the one they liked even and you weren't thinking so much it was the first take you were running it through. It still felt good. Yeah, well, at, at the time, I was like, I had the wrong mindset. When, right. when I felt like I was doing on the tape that I like what I thought was the best. Right. 
and my perspective of like what I uh, like what I wanted to accomplish on the guitar. But that's a pretty selfish way to look at it um, because music is well, music is for me. Yes, music's really. I mean, about for, it's for everybody. Um, and if I play just for me, I'm not really doing my job. Um, so that was the first step in realizing this through this process of like, man, like stop trying so hard. Like, you know how to play, like start playing and just let it go. And then there, I just remember things along the way that people have said that have stuck with me that kind of fall along that, that thought process or that philosophy. And, um, Mickey, Dean Ween, guitar player for Van Ween, yeah. said, if you're going to miss, miss big. <laughs> I love that line, dude. So yeah, much, man. Shit, man. Explain miss, to miss the big. non-musician, because the people that are going to hear this, what does that mean? So uh, what that means is like, okay, you're going for something, right? Like yeah. you, you go for like the... <laughs> the money, the musical money shot, you know, where like the big note, the big, the payoff, like, you know, you're the big payoff, dude. Yeah, you're going, going for it. it. Yeah. And you, and you clam out that note that has like one, like one note away from being right. You know, it's not the right note, you know. Um, like it might sound sour, but most people are not necessarily listening for that. They're, they're feeling like the dramatic element of like what that m- note was meant to be. Absolutely. And that's when, so when you, like, if you're going to miss, miss big, like if you're going to miss, like go for it. Like no one's going to know the difference anyway, probably, you know, like like, what they're going to feel is they're going to feel they're, they're going to, they're going to understand what, what the intention was. And it's kind of like, um, and I was talking to this somebody the other day, like, um, you know, when you're angry at somebody and you're having an argument, you're yelling at somebody, right? Most people aren't actually listening to the words you're saying. They just start hearing that you're angry. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, most people aren't listening to every single note that you play. They're listening to, like, the overall element of what you're, of what you're, what you're saying or the overall, like, feeling, the thing that you're trying to express. And so it makes sense. It's like, you know, go for it. I mean, the amount, and... of, t- the amount of times I've heard early 80s, that, that's primarily all I listened to with the dead. I mean, the amount of times that Garcia is flying and going for it and it doesn't always work out, but you can, it leaves you feeling so good. So it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's just, it go, you know, if you're going to miss, miss big. Yeah. If you're going to miss, miss big. And I, so I took that one with me. So it, now I've got that studio experience. I've got, um, that, that the quote from Diener from, you absolutely. Know, that, and, you know, my dad had told me early on, and obviously sons <laughs> don't listen to their fathers all the time when they're younger. But he always <laughs> said to me, music's all about emotion. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that, that, that's the most important thing in music is emotion. And, you know, I'm, I was always a nerd. Well, not always. I still am. Quite a, I'm a nerd. I, I like to study music. I like to dive headfirst and go deep into the theoretical study and the application of um, you know, music theory and trying to just create more tools for my musical toolbox. Now, that part of it's for home. That's for that's for me sitting in my living room practicing it. And then eventually over time, you find ways to incorporate it gradually into your playing um, to say something, not just to play it, just to get, just like, look at me, I can play this, but like, oh, like, this is the right word to say right here. Like in a, in a, in a, in a, like a conversation that we're having together. Like, you know, if, the more extensive my vocabulary is, the more expressive I can be when I need to be expressive. Mm. Um, but when I talk to, a, like when I'm talking to you right now, I'm not thinking about like verb conjugations and like <laughs> sentence structure and commas and grammar. I'm just talking to you. But I've learned that stuff on the side, and so that's that. that I think that would be a good analogy. That's beautiful, man. No, I, I this is so because, dude. Honestly, one of the things about Rob Eaton Jr. when you know I haven't had a chance to see him a lot, and that and that's going to change. But I want to read. <clears throat> I want to read you this quote uh, from Amos Garrett. Uh, I'm not sure if you're hip to his that guitar player. He was the one. Sorry, say the name again. Amos Garrett. 
He was the one. Yeah, he 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 did that solo on uh, Midnight at the Oasis, Maria Moldauer. But he, I want to read you this, what he said, uh, and then I'll get you your response. Uh, he said, sure. I owe a great deal to Earl Palmer, the great New Orleans drummer, who was Maria's drummer in her heyday. I wasn't that great a rhythm player, although I did outdo myself on Midnight at the Oasis. As soon as the band formed up live, Earl took me aside and said, Amos, man, you can solo your ass off, but your soloing ability kind of got ahead of your rhythm playing. When you're playing a song, 90% of the time you're going to play rhythm. And when the solo comes around, you might not even get it. Maybe the piano player will get the solo or a horn player. And even if you do get the solo, it might only take up 10% of the entire tune. So you've got a responsibility to the rhythm section as a rhythm guitar player because bad rhythm playing can destroy a rhythm section or any instrument. And I got to tell you, man, it's great to do the deep dives. I think it's essential in some ways, the fact that you're going and studying theory, because you know what? Even in that brief moment in time that I saw you, the amount of ideas and thoughts that were coming out of your rhythm playing show, told me that you were deeply schooled in music. And I just feel like it, we've gotten so, I mean, you talk to any of the old school cats, Terry Haggerty from the Sons of Champlin, any of these guys, younger cats, they don't understand how important the rhythmic quality of guitar playing is. They're all flashed out and they have no, they can't go any deeper. And I just feel, I give you a lot of props and I'd like you to just talk about the idea of phrasing and the incredible I mean, you listen to John McLaughlin playing on Bitches Brew. It's like angular, wild, funky rhythm guitar. And that's what I was here. And I just want you to talk about the tastiness of that and how you recognize, like, in that quote, you may not even get the solo and you still want to be able to express yourself. Not an easy thing to do. So, man, first of all, I just got to say um, what excellent insight you have on music and questions that is a fantastic question thank you um and a fantastic insight on today's music world and um you know i, I certainly don't want to come off as condescending to you no i'm ta- i'm asking you because my, i know you colleagues. you got the ch- you got the package man that's what but, i'm asking but you no know, i think that there is a there is an element of that rhythm guitar playing that is missing um especially in, in the younger generations um it's really focused on the lead playing and um, my my dad is a rhythm guitar player, mm. and I grew up. I've seen more of his shows than any other band, and I rem- remember watching him play and being just like, blown away. It's like <laughs> he's playing like he's playing leads almost exactly, dude. Within his within his rhythm playing, right. and you know, it's it's a, it's a different style of music. Obviously, it's Grateful Dead music, which is ensemble, not like comping or section and uh you know a soloist but you were playing like david t walker man you were it was like the funkiest thing i've ever it was not grateful dead but anyway continue you you learned from that yeah so i i did learn from that and um i i've always been a rhythm enthusiast but not just as a guitar player just like rhythm in general you know in high school my friends and i would you know go smoke weed don't listen to this mom in the car and, <laughs> and we'd all we'd all be we'd all like oh, I love it. I love in it. silence and we'd start somebody'd start banging on the on the you know driving wheel, steering wheel and uh then somebody would start like tapping on the window absolutely and, like, we'd create these rhythm sections oh, and sick. for i don't know how long we'd get lost in it <laughs> and you know we all play different instruments but we we're all playing rhythm and i just remember thinking how important that was and, um, you know, I, over the years, I, I put a premium on, like, really knowing, like, kind of study rhythms, like, like drum rhythms or, like, you know, different styles of music. Um, you know, like piano, Montuno figures, you know. Like Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and trying to find different voicings. Um, to say things, listen to guys like Prince, where it's like, wow, they're really not doing a whole lot except this one chord, but they're like, the guy's like funking it out. And like, it's really steady. So like, these guys aren't moving around like jam band guitar players are. They're, they are playing the same shit over and over and over That's again. it. That's it I'm right like, there. And that's like, that's it. arguably harder than anything to do. 
and, and keep and keep up with the intensity. So like, wow, there's like all these different levels to rhythm guitar playing. It's it's there's so much there to like dive into, just as much as I mean, I, or arguably more than uh, lead playing. Do you find do you find yourself like with when you're playing with younger cats that you at least try to show them on the bandstand like that you you know because a lot of the older cats they don't even play lead anymore they just have to play rhythm because it's going to entice at least it's going to open their ears a little bit to what that foundation is key I don't care if you go back to Count Basie with Freddie Green or all those great country albums coming out of Nashville mm-hmm. there was always a rhythm player and those cats made. They, they help build that foundation, and to I me, think, I yeah. mean, you know, that, I, that is that's that's everything. You, you just hit the nail on the head. And um, I, I remember I, I um, when I first started playing up in Vail, Colorado, where I live, uh, at the, the Shakedown Bar, I was incredibly blessed, and still I am, to have the opportunity to to play with some of the most amazing people. I was twenty five years old, and I was playing with Brothers Keeper. Huh. I sat in with them. And at that time I was young and I was still like, I, while I was a rhythm player, I was still at that time really focused on being the best lead guitar player that I could be. Right. And rhythm kind of came naturally to me. So I didn't put as much of a premium on that, but I ended up getting hired for the band and the, the drummer, John Michelle told me that it was my rhythm playing that, Got me high. I love it, dude. I and, that just sent chill, chills up my spine, dude. Unreal, and, dude. And I at the time I you were insulted, like, right? Oh, well, I was like, that's great, but what about my fucking guitar solos, man? <laughs> like, you know, I didn't say I didn't say that. I did. I, like, I, I did. Yeah. You know? yeah, I did. Um, and then I realized, like, man, from I've had a drummer say that. That's why you're hired for the band for rhythm playing. I was like, that's probably the best compliment you get ever. I mean, the, the, the drummer wants you in the band because <laughs> you play rhythm well, and he and he made he's like you made the pocket deeper because of where you sat in the pocket. That's what I'm talking them. about, dude. And and I'm like, and now looking back on it, I'm like, fuck yeah, that's <laughs> shit. and and what now? Now I kind of put playing rhythm and playing lead, and they're they're up in. They're level for me now, you know. Mm. One does not take hierarchy. There are some nights, man, I, I can't say a goddamn thing on, a, like, playing a solo. I, right. just, I got nothing to say. I'm like, oh, please don't make me take a solo. I'm, let me just play rhythm all night long, man. I back you up, like, you know. So it's nice to have that outlet where I can still be expressive through rhythm and lock in with the rhythm section and find this other side of music that is also equally as important as taking good, a good soloist. I mean, arguably more important, actually. Um, and there's beauty in that. And sometimes I love just like, eh, does somebody play rhythm, man? I just want to look at the bass player and the drummer and just like lock in. I'm just going to say, I, I, I want to ask you, the other thing I, I've noticed just sort of, again, just from afar, is just um, like being, I, I, I guess it's just more advice from me to you and you tell me if I'm wrong. I just... I, I don't want you to be, I really want you to, I mean, part of self being self-critical can drive you to new heights musically, but I really want you to, I urge you to work on not being hard on yourself um, and not uh, being self-critical yes. because I, you can even see it in your facial expressions. Like, And there's no reason for you to, I mean, you just have to just keep laying it out there. To me, it's like, you know, I mean... You know, part of it's like, yeah, say what you need to say. You don't need to go on wanking it. But, you know, part of it's just like, I'm just saying, man, when when you play, like you said, like we've been talking about, even if you think in your mind you don't have anything to say, the crowd's going to be inspired by it. So you just keep right. rolling with that. Oh, for sure. And, and I, 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 I got to stop you with the, with the, uh, the facial expressions thing. Um I I literally can't control. I, no, I figured I figured it was stage. something. It was just it was just like why is yeah. it, why is he looking like he's doing great? You know, I don't want to see it's, that. It's yeah. called resting dick face. <laughs> and 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 I suffer oh, from it. It's a real thing. All right, um, it's I, a real I go thing. To groups, you know. <laughs> no, um, I it's did. True, it's like I'm. Some people ask, like, "Are you? Is everything okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's great." What's what do you mean? They're like, "Well, you're not smiling." I'm like, "Well, I I'm really I'm smiling on the inside." 
That's good um, to know. You know, I like it. You got your game face on. That's fine. That's good. And 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 sometimes that's like in. I can be really psyched, but just really locked into the music, and it doesn't look like I'm happy. And that's I, it, I'm, that's unfortunate for me that I can't just like smile all the time. But I'm also not going to focus on stage about like smiling. No, um, no. To take away from to take away from my job, which is to provide the best sounding music I can. And um, you know, if if I'm upset on stage, like I, I've been playing long enough, like I I really don't. I mean, every once in a while, maybe you might see it, but I think you'd see that with every, every professional, even at the highest level. Um, you know, I, I really, I, I wait until later to bitch about it. Um, well, no, that's, that, that, no, that's, this is important because what, when we talked on Sunday and I want you to just kind of articulate, even if it's not totally conceived is this idea of where you need to push yourself musically in order to grow, you've talked about these different directions. We're in this very sort of innocuous time musically. Um, a lot of the bars are st- across the country are still broke. Um, it's really hard to road dog it now. Can you just talk about, in your mind's eye, what your instinct and intuition is telling you about any new directions you want to take to push yourself out of your comfort zone? So this is, this goes back to. Um, our discussion about emotion um and um i have to backtrack and go ahead man say a lot here because it's it makes sense at the end the floor is yours man go ahead um i had a a session yesterday um with a a friend that was colleague that we really tapped into some emotional quality and we both talked about it for um hours afterwards and and uh, what we found was that there's, and I, I said this earlier, this, this emotional little circle in the middle that everybody can relate to, you know, wherever it comes from. And everybody that's gone through COVID um, has experienced something that's really never happened in, our, like, anybody that's alive. In, Absolutely. Still alive. Absolutely. Um, and possibly even, like, that's, you know, Maybe the Black Plague, you know, kind of—I I don't know. Uh, this is this is a rare time in history, and we all experienced it, and everybody has felt it. Um, my friend said the word. When was the last time you ever heard the word "non-essential workers"? It's crazy. And it's crazy. I thought about that. I was like, "Holy shit, non-essential! What does that do to you psychologically? That means that you're not worth it. Like you're not worthy worth it enough right now to be paid because." That's how level the playing field is from this experience. So, you know, I obviously was upset, uh, you know, personally about not being able to, like, play music in clubs and make people happy. And, um, but that emotional response was, you know, universal. I mean, it affected everybody. Now, well, let's also be clear. The number one cats on the chopping block of non-essential in our society was musicians. That's the way our society looks at musicians, which is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, he said, my friend mentioned, and all these, Corey Montgomery, fabulous singer-songwriter, he's like, even in the Great Depression, man, bars and, like, shows were still a thing. Absolutely. You know, and I, like, even before COVID happened, I was like, what's the one thing that a recession um you know, what, uh, the one business that survives recession, the like bars and venues. Absolutely. Like, even when everyone has no has no money, they go out to venues and bars, and they don't want to feel feel good. You know, pain like wants to get you to feel happiness. Um, and that was stripped from us, from um, not just for musicians, but for fans. Right. And um, and you know. And on a non-selfish perspective, um, I'm sure there were other people that felt the same way in, in their field, um, you know, respectively. And when you talk about moving forward, um, at a certain point, it's like, you know, and we, we touched upon this before, there's like there's plenty of guys that can flash out, like, you know, there's the, the, the whole rhythm thing, lead thing, like, what do you do with it? Like, how do you get better? Well, how do you, how do you get better? Um, or what's 
going to fulfill you to get better. Like I could get better by practicing straight ahead bluegrass and traditional jazz, but like <laughs> it wouldn't actually like do anything. Right. So now we're talking about this, like, man, we have gone through a really unique experience that I don't, I mean, it'll happen again, probably not in our lifetime, but it'll happen again. Um, but it's a special moment, not special necessarily in a good way, but it can be. And here's, there's, if you look at timeless music, if you look at like, what ha- the cultural shifts, um, music that remains being played today is not a trending fad. Mm-hmm. It is in, it's connected to the, an emotional experience via cultural shift, like, you know, Neil Young, um, Ohio, you know, like absolutely those types of tunes, man, like those are what those were so relevant, not just at that time, but they, they touched on an emotional impact that still kind of translates today. Like, even if you didn't grow up in that time, like there's still young people listening to that music because it was an emotional expression of that time. And you can relate and, it to things going on and, today too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because it triggers something inside of your emotion. Right. And so my friend and I were discussing, I was like, man, I can't think of anybody who's gone through and went, <laughs> uh, like said something about COVID, like, like post COVID era. Right. Talks about going, everybody's going to therapy. No one's talking about it. Right. I mean, we're talking about it amongst each other, but like there's, there's like, there's, there's a cultural shift happening. Um, and people are putting their priorities in different places. Absolutely, they're, they're being shifted. Dude. And so how do we tap into that? That's you know, a universal thing. And everybody that's gone through what we've all gone through in the past since 2020, and it's still going to affect us for the next, and for the rest of our lives, I'm sure. Um, and maybe even for generations to come, like just, you know, by default. Um, maybe we can tap into that and bring joy through music expression to like kind of be healing, you know, like have it be a, like kind of a therapeutic outlet for people. Um, sort of like those songs were in the sixties for people. Um, and so maybe that's how you get better is by expressing yourself better. Mm. You know, how do you mm. get better as a person? Mm. You know, um, typically it's through emotional control and balance. Um, and if I think at, at a certain point, like, it really doesn't matter how good you are. It's really how, what, you're, what you're doing with it. I would just say that, like, I mean, can you talk about a couple of themes personally? Because you're right. We all live through it. Um, but to make it relevant to the people. Um, <clears throat> so I just want you yeah. to talk, and like in terms of your collaboration with this uh, singer-songwriter, um, you, you, you're specifically talking, at least one part of it might be about songs with messages related to this isolation, this, 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 this pause, this universal pause of COVID. It's actually not so much that now. It's more about, it's not about that pause so much. It's as moving as forward. The ripple, the, the ripple. Oh, I dig, I dig, I dig. And, and like what happens is like, you know, the, 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 le- the playing field was leveled, you know, huh. um, hmm. You, you know, wow. it kind of brought everybody really closer together in terms of like, you know, especially in the music world, you know, people that were playing big venues, like I wasn't in big venues before. They're not either. Right. You know, right. Um, and some people left playing music altogether. Um, they had to get real jobs. They had to restart their lives. Um, so that part has already happened. Right. And that part was chaos. But the effects afterwards, now that we're back into it, like the music, I, I talk to musicians all the time that are going to therapy. And that was something that was never talked about before. Um, people were not talking about that kind of stuff. Now everybody's talking about it and everybody's like pumped for each other. Like, ah, oh, man, therapy's the shit, huh? I, I think you everybody know, should be. I've, I've been in psychotherapy since I was, I haven't gone in a while, but it, there was always yeah. a stigma attached to it, but I think it's healthy it, it for was. everybody. Yeah. But now it's like, more celebrated right and so right i i don't want to divulge too much information no last night we, we came up with 
a, a concept album idea that that touches upon um, the cycles of these emotional cycles that we're kind of going through right now, which is like the highs are high and the lows are low, you know, like right now, like sometimes you go through moments where like things are going really well and all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit. dude, I'm with you and I'm not even a music dude. It's happening to everybody, man. It, to everybody. That's everybody, the thing. man. And every, everybody's feeling that. And, and then you got to, so you got to, so you got to, you, you, that's, you nailed it because you know what? Talk, sing about it, talk about it, write about it. That's it. You got it. And, and one of the, um, you know, we have, we've got some lines there. Uh, like, I think the first title track is oh, the first, the, the, it's like four sides, A side, B side, C side, D side, whatever. The first side, we're going to call therapy. And, <laughs> and, and it's, <laughs> And I love it, this. And, it, and the first track that we decided was like, no one's talking. And it's like, it's like the before. And right. The last track right. Be like, everybody's talking about it. You know, like, or something like that to that effect. You know, I, I don't want to divulge. No, I don't want you to do it. This is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, and, but it's, it's going to go through the emotional cycles that everybody's experiencing. Um, one being like the, the, the exact opposite of that, like therapeutic sense, which is like, um, you know, uh, remission, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, basically falling, falling back into the old cycles, the old habits, like really going to botrus, the, the exact opposite, the lows of lows, the highs of highs, basically. And, but also the lyrical content being from multiple perspectives, because there are people that are going to therapy and then there are people that are seeing their partners, their relationships, their friends going to therapy. So there are two sides of, mm. of that coin and there are two perspectives. There are the people that are going to therapy and there are the people that are telling you to go to therapy or something like that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So if you can emotionally address both of those perspectives through in a song, um, you're, you're, really, you're hitting every button. And that's a goal. Like, and I think, you know, as somebody who goes to therapy and um, is, I, I support it. I think it's one of the greatest things that you can do for yourself as a human being. Um, um, I'm glad I'm going now. I, I took a break for a while. I'm going again and it's, it's wonderful. Um, but this would kind of serve as that. And even the, the discussion about it last night that I had with my songwriting friend was, therapeutic in a way because it was like oh, I was like this kind of relief in a way like wow we can like we can really say something here that's relevant
Thank you.